Way back in 2010, this was when I was still pastoring a local church. I was pastoring my first church at that time. I was able to take a five-week sabbatical from my everyday duties as a minister. Now, for those less familiar with the concept of a sabbatical, this is a time that is not a vacation, but a time of intentional rest and renewal, the idea being that you come back from it in order to be reinvigorated for the work that you have been called to. So in ministry spaces, this would be associated with being renewed and rested to come back and to do the work of ministry. So this was my first opportunity to take a sabbatical. And honestly, I had been looking forward to this for most of the previous five years that it took to earn it. This was set out in my call agreement that after five years, I would have earned a five-week sabbatical. And for most of those five years, I would occasionally think and reflect and dream. If, if I make it to this point, what would I do? with this month-long season that is meant to rejuvenate me for this work. And so I batted around quite a few ideas, and uh, when, when the time came to really and fully sit down and set out to plan what this time would be, I came up with a handful of ideas. I would go in and participate in a few days renewal program that would just invite me to think about my vocation a bit deeply and specifically related to self-care and and my own outlook on things. I also made plans to attend the annual Festival of Homiletics. That year it was held in Nashville, and every year since I have wanted to go back and it has never truly materialized other than recent years when it was held online and I was able to at least tune in and catch up in that way. And I made a small reading list of books that I wanted to make it a point to read. And I also scheduled a few days at a retreat center. There's only so much you can do in the span of five weeks, and I didn't want to load myself down too much. I wanted this to be restful. But nevertheless, I can pinpoint a moment in the midst of that time. I remember it was an evening. It was a weeknight 
evening, and I was partway through all of my planned activities, and I found myself urging myself to do something that, that that there was I had this inkling within myself that there was something that I needed to do I was sitting around and I had this time and I should be doing something that is what I was telling myself and after hearing this voice shooting on me internally I stopped and I thought, wait, no, I don't. I'm on sabbatical. I don't need to do much of anything. Maybe here and there help, help do my part in helping out around the house and, and that sort of thing. But everything that I felt obligated to do while not on sabbatical, a lot of that had fallen away, and yet there was some part of me that believed I should always still be active. And that was an important realization. When I realized, no, I don't need to be doing something. I was so used to measuring time and measuring my use of time in certain ways that to have a lot of those measures absent, it was driving me to think about how I could still maintain those measures even without a lot of the usual tasks. Thankfully, that evening, I decided to consciously not do anything. I remember I poured myself a glass of wine, and I sat down, and I turned on a baseball game, and I intentionally just sat on the couch. I've had a lot of realizations similar to this since then. It has taken me a long time to still learn and realize and live into what I was thinking about that night. And I have to say that during my family's recent beach vacation, it had to have been one of the fullest incarnations of me finally living out what I first realized a dozen years ago. I recall most of this week, we always go down to Ormond Beach, Florida, and I recall stepping into the pool that first day that we were there. And I didn't care how long I would enjoy floating around. I let go of any felt need to look at the clock 
or to consider what I would need to do elsewhere because I didn't need to do anything elsewhere all week long. And this same kind of lack of shooting followed me throughout that week. We would go down to the beach. We would sit under a canopy in the sand or we would wade out into the ocean and there was such a lack of obligation to hurry up and enjoy things so that you can be finished and move on to something else. No, instead, instead it was just us and the sand and the water for as long as we wanted. And if we got hungry, we'd wander back up and eat. And if we got tired, we would wander back up and sit down or, or lie down. But that lack of shooting, it took 12 years for me to finally and fully live into what I first began trying to do with wine and a ball game. July is over. It's August now. And so welcome back to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. I'm guessing that at least a few listeners can relate to that story about my sabbatical that I told earlier in this episode. That whole notion of always thinking that you should be doing something if you're just sitting around even for a couple of minutes. And I confess that the the journey since that realization has been a long one. I mean, the, the, the amount of time between that wine and ball game and floating around in the pool, not paying attention to the clock, that's 12 years in between there. And, and so there have been a lot of learnings, incremental learnings in between, and also certainly a lot of, of backsliding, of, of, of sliding back into that heavy notion of should. I need to be doing something at all times. If I'm not doing something, then I am, I am wasting my time or, or I, I am not fulfilling my, my purpose or my responsibility in some way. And so, I am an avid list maker. I make to-do lists a lot 
of days. Not necessarily every day, but nearly every day. And like I said, I'm betting I'm not the only one who views their days like this, who views their use of time like this, who views their sense of purpose and responsibility and obligation like this. And the reason why I bet I'm not the only one, or one of the reasons anyway, is because the messaging around us so clearly tells us that we always need to be on the move. Have you ever seen or heard how harshly those who don't have a job are treated? How, how much they are judged and how many assumptions are dumped on them? Well, you must be lazy. Well, you must just not want to work hard. Or, to, to couch it in broader terms, to, to couch this judgment in broader terms, some say, well, you're not contributing to society. There is this, this constant barrage of messages all around us at all times that ties our worth to whatever it is we are doing at any given moment or whatever it is we are not doing at any given moment. Or to put it another way, we are often judged for our use or perceived misuse of our time. Recently, Right before my vacation, in fact, I read a book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And Berkman, in this book, reflects a lot on this type of messaging, this messaging that we have internalized where if we are not constantly on the move, if we are not constantly accomplishing something, checking something off of our to-do lists, then we're not using our time wisely. And he even breaks it down further. He drills down to even that notion of using time. This notion that that we need to be using time effectively. And one of the things that he reflects on, and, and I, I wish he didn't attack me personally like this, that, that's how much it resonated with me, is, is he reflects at one point on how we have this notion, many of us operate with this notion, that... Well, if we just try to cross off as much 
of our task lists as we can. When, be, when we do this, when, when we do as much work as we can, and when we, we cross this off and then we cross this off and then we cross this off, and we have been able to cross all of them off, then, oh then, we will be able to sit back and relax. And then we will finally be able to enjoy life. We just need to get all of this work out of the way first. The work on a particular day, the work during a particular week, the work during a particular month or a particular set of months or a particular set of years. And then finally, when we are all done doing all of that work and checking off all the boxes and crossing off all the things on our list, then we will finally be able to enjoy our existence. Now again, I am guessing that I am not the only one who feels personally attacked by this observation. I heard myself so clearly in this characterization because I have done this for the for those 5 years leading up to my sabbatical. That, that's one of the things that I was thinking about. Well, once I get all of this done, then I'll be able to enjoy this month off. Once I get all this work done in during these five years, then I'll be able to fully enjoy a month of my existence. Or even, or even leading up to this week-long beach vacation. I have I need to get the the all of these weeks and months of tasks checked off. And then I'll be able to enjoy this one week. And as Berkman reflects, and I would also say I agree, that is a pretty poor way to view existence. The idea that, well, once I get all of this done, then I will be able to enjoy life. As if we're not allowed to enjoy life in the meantime. This, this notion that we need to tackle time and wrestle it to the ground and use it effectively. And then at the, the end of all of that, we'll earn some small reward for all of our days, months, years of toil, of being efficient. What are we missing out on in the meantime? What, what joys, what enjoyment of life are we missing out on if we only think we're not allowed to enjoy it until we have completed all of our tasks, until we have used time as effectively and efficiently as we could before it?
this is there there's a reframing that is needed here a reframing around existence just all of existence it's a pretty poor way to view existence if we think we're not allowed to enjoy it until we've earned it in some way this notion that we we need to wrestle time to the ground to to view time in a different way to view enjoyment in a different way and to view ourselves in a different way I think that Berkman, he doesn't ever actually say it this way, but, but, but this is a helpful way for me to conceptualize it. And I think it might be a more palatable way for you to be able to conceptualize it without having to read his book yourself. You know that phrase, seize the day? You know, it's related to how we need to control time as best we can, right? We're, we're, we're seizing it and we're, we're, we're taming it. Seize the day. What Berkman would instead say is enjoy the day. Release your white knuckle grip on your lists. Release your white knuckle grip on on having to accomplish things every moment of every day and instead enjoy the day in front of you because it's the only day that we have until the next one. Ancient Greeks had two words that they would use in reference to time. They had two words that they would use to describe time. The first one was the word chronos. And if, if, you, if you think about it, you, you, may, you may hear a certain familiarity within this word chronos it's where we get the word for chronological so to do something chronologically it would be first you have the this thing that happens and then you have this thing that happens and then you have this thing that happens when we talk about chronological order there is a certain setup a certain arrangement of things that makes sense. One thing happens after another. Chronos time is our the, the way that we are most used to measuring time. Chronos time is measured by clocks 
and by planners and by calendars and by appointments and by alarms. Chronos time is the time that, that we are most familiar with where we tick off minutes and hours and days and so on. And, and in the midst of that Chronos time, it, it, we, we measure it with, with at this time we, we have to be here. And at this time we're going to do this. And at this time we're going to meet these people. And by this day, we have to have this thing done. That Kronos is the time, the measuring of time with appointments and deadlines and goals and all of the u other usual ways. And for many of us, as I've mentioned already, we measure our worth in Kronos time. We measure our worth by how well we are able to seize Kronos time. When we talk about Kronos time, we're talking about quantity. We're talking about the, this way of measuring. We're talking about minutes. We're talking about how everything has its place and we are going to measure ourselves by those places and by those things that we need to do and by those tasks and so on. That, all of that is Kronos time. Now, the Greeks had a second word to talk about time. First there's Kronos, and then there is Kairos. Kairos time is different from Kronos time, as you might be able to imagine. Kairos time for the Greeks means deep time. Or to put it another way, the meaning of Kairos for the Greeks was things that happen in the right moment. Things that happen in the moment when they are supposed to happen. But not supposed to happen in the sense that we have written them on our calendars. Instead, instead, things are supposed to happen when we get that feeling that it is time for them to happen. Kairos time is about quality rather than quantity. Kairos time is about moments rather than minutes. It's about waiting for the moment to feel like it is truly the right time for something to happen. Now granted, as I have shared and as I have 
entitled my ebook from earlier this year, there really is no absolutely perfect time for something to happen, but there are better times for something to happen. And that is what the Greeks were trying to tap into in their concept of Kairos. Kairos time has a spiritual dimension to it, where we listen prayerfully. We listen carefully to the Spirit moving among us. And for the Spirit to move us in the way that the Spirit does. And then at just that moment, when everything feels like it has lined up in the right way, then we act. Kairos time tells us when it is truly time to set something down for the day. Kairos time tells us when it's time to move on from some situation that we are a part of that is no longer good for us. Kairos time tells us, signals to us, when it is time to move on to what we believed was one calling and to pursue a different path. Kairos time is to enjoy the moment that is right in front of us rather than worrying what we need to do when that moment is over. To pay attention to Kairos time is to enjoy what is right in front of us because there truly is no other moment besides the one that we are in. And then, at some point, a new moment comes. And we realize when that new moment comes that it is truly time to move on. That sure, now it's time to come back up out of the water. Now it is time to sit and to watch baseball and do nothing else. Now is the time to move from this place to this place. Now is the time to just enjoy what is here and to lay down our lists and our schedules and everything else and to just be who we are. What if we applied more Kairos to our lives? Now, I, I grant, Kronos is important. I'm, I'm not trying to set this up as this one is good and this one is bad, because Lord knows we, we live in the society that we do, and, and so there, there, is, there is something to be said for both. We do need to keep appointments. We do need to eat we do need to continue to live in our houses 
and take care of loved ones and so on. I don't want to say Kronos bad, Kairos good, because there is, there is room for both. But what if we applied more of a Kairos spirit to our Kronos existence? How is it that we could find a bit more enjoyment and a bit less of a need to seize everything all of the time? What would happen? If we made enjoyment at the center of our lives, rather than measuring our worth by what we have accomplished or have to accomplish, I would bet that we would actually find greater enrichment because we only have, as Berkman says, about 4,000 weeks between birth and death. And there is no time like the present to enjoy it a lot more. Thank you for listening to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including my five books, at jeffreynelson.com. You can also find me on social media, facebook.com slash revjeffnelson. And I'm at boldroastrev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week.